Sam Saraswati Namaha. Namaste. Namaste, everyone. On page 438, we're going to begin the, what we call the, uh, uh, the appendix. It's not really appendix. It's, uh, it's just a little additional. You know, uh, it, 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 when Vishwamitra came to Horish Chandra, he said, give me my Dakshina. Horish Chandra said, I, he's the king of Ayodhya, he said, I'll give you everything I own. Vishwamitra said, that's fine. Now give me a little extra. Just so that I know that you really want me to have it. Horish Chandra said, well wait, I just gave you everything. I don't have anything extra. He said, you better get it. We gave the puja, we gave the final pranam, we gave the visarjan, we took back the prana, we gave everything we already had, and then Shiva said, okay, give me some more. Just, if you really want me to feel like you want me to have everything that's in your heart, then give me more. And we always say, if you can talk at the end of Navaratri, you haven't really given everything, have you? If you still have a little voice left, then you didn't give it all, did you? <laughs> Actually, we want to give it more. So this appendix is a little more. And the first song is a hymn from Shankaracharya, and it says... Mano jitani naham. I am not the mind, nor the intellect, nor the ego, nor the perceptions of consciousness, nor am I the ears, the tongue, the nose, nor eyes. I am not the ether, and I'm not the earth, nor the fire, nor the wind. I am the form of the bliss of consciousness. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. What did you become when you did this Shiva puja? You realized, like Ramyan in Bengaluru, she realized that God is not an attainment. God is a realization. And she realized that this body, this mind, these thoughts, these senses, that's not her. She is the form of the bliss of consciousness. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. Chiddhananda Rupa Shivoham Shivoham. I am neither the life force nor the five forms of breath neither the seven constituent elements of the body nor the five sheaths or coverings. Remember the Anamaya Kosh, the Pranamaya Kosh, the Manamaya Kosh, the Viganamaya Kosh, and the Anandamaya Kosh. I am not speech, nor hands, nor feet, nor even the organs of reproduction or elimination. I am the form of the bliss of consciousness. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. I have neither attraction nor repulsion, neither greed nor delusion, neither are the attitudes of ignorance nor jealousy present in me. 
Neither have I any dharma, an ideal of perfection, nor any wealth or the resources to acquire or attain that ideal, nor desires, nor kama, nor moksha, nor not even liberation. I can't be liberated. How can I be liberated when I am not bound? I am the form of the bliss of consciousness. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. I have no merits, nor do I have any sin. No punyam na papi. I have neither pleasure, nor do I have pain. I have no mantras, no places of pilgrimage, neither, neither wisdom nor sacrifice. I am not the act of eating, nor the food, nor the enjoyer. I am the form of the bliss of consciousness. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. I have neither death nor fear, nor any distinction of caste. Neither do I have a father nor a mother, nor even have I been born. I have no friend, nor any comrade. I like that. <laughs> neither a guru nor a disciple. I am the form of the bliss of consciousness. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. Shiva, who himself is the prime mover unmoved, he is the, the Adhikaran, the first cause. He has no father, no mother. He is not a guru, nor is he a disciple. He is the guru of all the gurus, the example to everyone who wants the purest example. He is the form of the bliss of consciousness. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. I have no concept nor idea, the form of the formless. I exist everywhere, in every manifestation, within all that can be perceived. Everything you see is a form of me. I am not united, nor can I be liberated. How can I be in union when I alone exist? Union is the, by definition, there has to be duality in order to achieve unity. I exist as the form of the bliss of consciousness. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. Mm -hmm. Now, our next stotram is called the Purusha Shukta. And the Shukta, the Purusha Shukta appears in the Ajurveda in one form, it appears in the Rig Veda in another form. This one was taken from the Rig Veda. The chapter 2 of the Rudra Stadhyay is from the Ajurveda, from Shukla Yajurvedyam Rudra Stadhyay, the eight chapters from the Shukla Yajurveda, which pertain to Shiva. And this is, of course, Vedic Sanskrit, so it's a little more cumbersome. <laughs> the Supreme Being has innumerable heads, Sahasra Shirsha, actually thousands of heads, innumerable eyes, innumerable feet, uh, innumerable feet. Even though he extends beyond the universe of manifested objects, he dwells in a space of ten fingers breadth in the hearts of all beings. So he, he, he may exist in the space of ten fingers, 
meaning I bow to you with devotion. He may exist in ten directions where the ten fingers point all the time. Or he may extend, exist in the space of ten fingers' breath within the heart of all beings. The entire universe is the Supreme Being. What has manifested in past, present, and future? Above all, the immortal existence, he provides nourishment for all of life. The entire existence manifests his glory, which the Supreme Being transcends. Remember, only one portion of him is manifest, and the rest is transcendental. The perceivable beings constitute his quarter part. Three quarters embodying immortality remain inconceivable in the heavens. So you can see about a fourth of him. 25% of him exists in manifested form. Take all the forms that have manifested in this entire creation from the planet Earth and extended out to the Milky Way and extended to all the cosmos in every direction and on all sides and further, and that's one quarter of him. The space in between is even more vast, and that's three quarters, which is unmanifest. He's there too. Three parts of the Supreme Being is above birth and death because it doesn't have a form, it never came into being, and because it never came into being, it will never cease from being. And the fourth part manifested as the universe. So the 25% you get to see. From this came forth existence which eats and eats not. So, all animate and inanimate beings, those that eat and rejuvenate themselves, and those that don't eat and just stay the same. Then radiance came forth, and from radiance the Supreme Being shined. Then he gave birth to the earth with places both high and low. As soon as there was a manifested existence, then there was an above and a below the and a before and an after, and in front and behind. And we had something to measure with. There was a manifestation you could measure. And then from this sacrifice of great devotion came forth animals of the air, of the forest, and those who live in villages like us guys. We call them human beings. And then from his, uh, this sacrifice of great devotion came forth hymns and songs of praise, like this one, and sacrificial mantras, and the various rhythms of sacrificial scripture were all were born. What a beautiful expression of the evolution of creation from that one being who was beyond manifestation, he became manifest, and then there was a way to measure in relationship to the manifested existence. There's some space that we can define what's in front of you and what's between us and what's behind you. 
and what's above you and what's below you. And then came the manifested, uh, you needed an earth to put your feet on. And then when you got an earth, there were all kinds of animals that flew in the air and those that went in the water and those that sat on the ground. And then what were we going to do while we were sitting there? We sang. <laughs> and we made these hymns and we made mantras and we made all of this bhavana, this means of expressing the sincerity of our devotion. And then were born horses and cows and varieties of life all came into being in that sacrifice and the sacrifice was blessed which gave birth to the supreme being. In this way came forth the gods and seers of eternal reality. So God gave birth to this whole creation and all the gods and all the rishis and all the moonies and then we gave birth to God. We say, hey, we, we acknowledge you, we invoke you, we respect you, we invite you and establish you within. And in this way came forth the gods and the seers of eternal reality and with great thought was that supreme manifested. The Supreme Being was manifested, what became his head, what were what his arms, what his thighs, and what his feet. From his head came the knowers of wisdom, the Brahmins. And from his arms came kings and administrators, Kshatriyas. And from his thighs came forth those of circulation and distribution, the Vaishyas, those who are the business community, and from his feet the support and sustenance. And that's a purush, a full, complete, and perfect, wholly integrated, holistic being. He thinks like a Brahmin, he protects like a Kshatriya, he circulates goods and services like a Vaishya, and he serves like a Shudra. Every organism requires all four functions. You can't have a, a body without an intelligence system, an immune system, a circulatory system, and somebody to bring in the nutrition and take away the refuse. That's how we maintain the human body. Society is the same. If it's true for the microcosm, it's true for the macrocosm. His mind gave birth to the moon and his eyes gave birth to the sun. And from his ears and his breath came the wind and from his mouth came the Lord of fire. So he's got the sun and the moon and the fire and he's got the wind and all the, all the elements came forth from the body of this Purusha. Full, complete and perfect manifestation of consciousness. From his navel came forth the atmosphere, and from his head the heavens, and from his feet came the earth, and from his ears the direction, and thus existence became manifested. The gods performed sacrifice with that supreme being as the offering. They made a yajna with offering God to, unto God, Brahmarpanam, Brahma Habir, Brahma Ognal, Brahmanakutam, God is the offeror, God is the offering, God is the recipient, God is the fire. In fact, that supreme being was everywhere. Spring was the clarified oil, that's the ghee. 
Summer, the fuel, autumn, the oblation. Seven were the limitations defined. Three times seven, the ingredients used. We offered on the gross body, the subtle body, and the causal body on every level of consciousness. When the gods offered that sacrifice, they bound that supreme being as an animal. They bound all of their animalistic tendencies and offered it to the supreme being. By sacrifice, the gods gave birth to sacrifice. And the first principles of eternal dharma were established. And those who live according to the glorious way ultimately reach the highest abode where the gods dwell in that ancient perfection. <laughs> Om. And that's the Purusha And now let's talk about the Rudrashtakam. Remember Lamash Muni had that ungrateful, wise guy disciple who is always mouthing off and talking back to the guru. I don't want to clean the kitchen. Why should I clean up everything? I, it's not my mess. I'm not responsible. And the guru said, my disciple, please don't talk to me that way. You have every reason to be respectful to your guru. Well, the disciple would not correct herself. <clears throat> And she continued to always talk back to her guru. And then one day, Shiva got mad and said, you're disrespecting your guru. An insult to the guru is an insult to me. And your guru is so compassionate that she won't scold you for your nefarious ways, but I am the guru of the gurus and I will not accept such an insult and I curse you. You will take 1,000 births in the lowest form of existence possible. Mm. And the guru bowed down to Lord Shiva and he sang this song. Rudrashtakam. Namami Shamishana Nirvana Rupam. We bow down with devotion to the Lord of Lords, the form of infinite realization, the all-pervading creative consciousness which creates the individual phenomena of existence, the intrinsic nature of wisdom. That reality is without attributes beyond conception, not admitting of distinction. Unified field of consciousness. We laud the consciousness as vast as space, which wears the infinity of space as a garment. He's digumber. He's dressed in space. Some say naked. But we understand he's not really a nudist. He's clothed in space because you, he's so spaced out, nobody can find the end of it. We bow down with devotion to he who is without any particular form, the root of Om, beyond empirical, conceptual, or intuitive experience, beyond speech, wisdom, or knowledge of the senses, Lord of the mountains, terrible, the great time, all time, the giver of grace the repository of all qualities and beyond the world of objects and relationships. 
who is white like the snow-clad mountains, he's pure self-laguna, whose body shines with the beautiful light of ten million gods of love. Upon his head the beautiful river Ganga is flowing. On his forehead the second day's digit of the moon resides and showing a necklace made of a snake around his neck. He wears energy as a garment. The rings in his ears are moving to and fro. He has beautiful eyebrows which are plucked regu regularly and large wide eyes. He has a pleased expression on his face, a blue throat, and is the essence of compassion. He wears apparel of a lion's skin and displays a garland of skulls, and he is the beloved of all, the Lord of all. We bow down with devotion to the cause of peace. He is terrible, <laughs> humongous, boyanka, frightening. I mean, you can't find the end of him. Isn't that scary? He's, it's, he's terrible, the ultimate, radiating light, the supreme Lord, not admitting divisions without birth, shining like ten million suns. He removes the three kinds of difficulties. He holds in his, a trident in his hand, that trishul, and we bow down with devotion to he who is always in the bhava of ecstatic love. The Lord of the Divine Mother. Bhavani Pati, the Lord of the Divine Mother. Bhavani Pati. He is beyond limitations, the intrinsic nature of welfare, who brings each age of time to its culmination, who always gives the bliss of infinite consciousness to true beings. He dwells in the city of nine gates, uh, two, four, six, seven, eight, nine, and where are you, nine gates? He gives the bliss of consciousness, cuts asunder the bonds of ignorance. Oh, Lord, be pleased, be pleased, you who put the mind into equilibrium. So long as the devotees do not praise the Lord of Uma, that's Shiva, the Lord of Uma, there will be no happiness, nor peace, nor purifying austerities in the world. How can you have a good time if you're not singing to Shiva? O Lord who resides within every being of existence, be pleased. We do not know what is union, nor how to recite mantras, nor how to perform worship. You can tell this is Shankaracharya. He always spoke like that. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> Please, give me the fruit of my worship. We don't know how, what is union. I don't know what yoga is. I don't know how to recite mantras, know how to perform worship. But oh, you who shine with peace, again and again we are bowing down to you. Please save us from the pains of birth. Oh, Lord who shines with peace, we are bowing down to you. In this way, the learned ones sing these eight verses of praise to Rudra, the reliever of sufferings. Whatever human being, ah, we finally got it right, it's not even male or female. Whatever human being, 
will sing these verses with devotion. The Lord who shines with peace will be pleased. Oh, Rudrashtika. So then uh, Shiva said to Lomash Muni, he said, I like your song. I'm going to give you a bone. What bone do you want? I mean, you sang that very nicely. And it, it was a really a good song. What can I give you? And Lomash Muni said, forgive my disciple. So if Shiva is angry, the guru can save. But if the guru is angry, who's going to intercede on our behalf? And you all know the story. Shiva said, well, you know, I already gave the curse. I can't take back the curse. But I'm giving a blessing along with the curse. Whatever form your disciple takes, she will always remember the name of Ram. Always remember the name of Ram. That became a better blessing than a curse. <laughs> Uh, this is called the lingashtakam, and the lingam is the subtle symbol which reflects the purity of infinite consciousness. The lingam is the symbol of the eternal Lord Shiva. It is adorned by Brahma, Vishnu, and all the gods. The lingam is taintless, shining, and beautiful. It is the destroyer of the miseries that follow birth. We bow down to that eternal symbol of the eternal Shiva. The symbol that is adored by the gods and great sages. See, linga, linga sharir means the subtle body. And Shiva linga means the symbol of Shiva. And you have the subtle symbol of the consciousness of infinite goodness. All in that linga. Here are eight verses in praise of the linga. Lingashtakam. The symbol that is adored by gods and great sages that denotes the destruction of the god of lust. Remember, Kamdev was burned because of Shiva's light of purity. The ocean of mercy and is the vanquisher of Ravana's pride. We bow down to that eternal symbol of the eternal Shiva. The symbol is anointed with fragrant unguents like sandal paste, etc., the symbol enhances the intellect and is worshipped by siddhas, gods, and asuras. Everybody wants to worship the Shiva Linga. We bow down to that eternal symbol of the eternal seal. The symbol is adorned with jewels of gold and precious gems that shine with the Lord of Serpents that encircles it and that obstructed the sacrifice performed by Daksha. Remember, Shiva destroyed we bow down to that eternal symbol of the eternal seal. The symbol is anointed with vermilion and sandal paste. That's the kumkuma chandana lepitatam. With a large fan shining behind it. You see all the goddesses have large fans shining behind it. It's sort of like a fan club uh, up there on the... Uh, all those goddesses. And it destroys all the sin attained in many births. We bow down to that eternal symbol of the eternal symbol. 
The symbol is worshipped by gods with great devotion and shines with the brilliance of millions of suns. We bow down to that eternal symbol of the eternal sheep. The symbol is, is seated in the eight-petaled seat, which is the cause of all creations and destroys all kinds of destitution. The eight petals that create the asad, in the center of which is the bindu, that's where the shiva sits. And it destroys all, it's the cause of all creations and destroys all kinds of destitution. We bow down to that eternal symbol of the eternal Shiva. The lingam is worshipped by the guru of the gods, Sri Ma. And all of the gods offer flowers grown in the heavenly gardens of the Devi Mandir to the symbol of the supreme soul. We bow down to that eternal symbol of the eternal Shiva. Thank you. <laughs> Om Sam Saraswati Naha. Namaste. Let's see if there are any questions. And before we start your questions, I have one question. Sadatmananda, did you find that place where it purported that Swami said, don't grow a garden? Because here I see that all the flowers were raised in the Devi Mandir and offered to, in the heavenly gardens of the Devi Mandir and offered to the Supreme Soul, the symbol of Lord Shiva. Yeah. If you find that passage, please uh, uh, alert me to its presence. Tell me where I can find it, because I don't believe that it exists. In fact, I've had many gardens myself. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was a gardener at one time raising pushpas. And then I gave up pushpas and I started raising vegetables. And then I gave up vegetables and I started raising yogis and yoginis. And I think that's my highest calling. As a cultivator, I want to cultivate the spirit of yoga. Uh, so I'm still sort of but in the gardening business. I'm an old farmer from way back. Huh. Old McSwami had a farm. E-I-E-I-O. Are there any questions? Uh, yes, we have a question from Sadatmananda. Yes, Sadatmananda, namaste. Pranam, he who wears a lion's skin. I understand that this is the representation of wearing Dharma. I also understand that Durga rides on the lion. What is the meaning of Shiva wearing a dead lion skin? Did he kill the lion as opposed to Durga riding on a lion? No, Shiva doesn't kill lions. But if a lion came and said, Shiva, would you please wear my skin? Would you please sit on me? Then for certainly Shiva would oblige. Uh, see, Shiva practices ahimsa. And he creates harm to none. So he's not in the business of killing animals for his skin or for their skin. At least they have some skin in the game. Uh, but Shiva, is, he doesn't create hingsa. He, he practices ahimsa. And so he, he doesn't kill. I sit on the skin of a lion, but that lion came to the Devi Mandir and gave up its life. And it said, gee, I think I'd like for Swami to sit on me. I can't think of any other butt I'd rather have on me uh, than have. I would like to support Swami's dharma. 
We have a question from Sadhana Shakti. Namaste Sadhana! Pranam. What is the simplest and best way to explain to someone who asks what the Shiva Lingam signifies? The simplest way is to say, oh, do you use a zero in your mathematics every day? Probably the answer is yes. And what does that zero mean? It doesn't mean the presence of nothing. And it could mean the absence of everything. But what it really is, is a symbol which signifies my inability to, to define what is not there. That Shiva Lingam is the subtle symbol for the presence of divinity, which I can't explain to you. You can only realize that as the eternal consciousness of infinite goodness. Now, what does that mean? <gasps> Take a deep breath and envision the highest goodness you can possibly conceive and make it better and make it better still and when you get to where it cannot get any better that's when you begin to understand what does that Shiva Lingam mean. That's where you begin to meditate on the presence of Lord Shiva. I don't know if that answers the question, but it sure confused a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> we have a question from Ryan in San Jose. Namaste, Ryan. Namaste. What is the connection between Kama Dave's destruction and the Shiva Lingam? Oh, it, it, Shiva came. Uh, uh, it, 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 the Shiva Lingam is the symbol of the subtle body of that Shiva, and one of Shiva's uh, attributes is that he he will not submit to lust. He is always in perfect control and he loves universally. He does not have personal attachment which clouds his judgment and makes him do stupid things. He has infinite love which is pure and clear. So his third eye burned love to ashes. And if you're really interested in the subject, I wrote a book about it. It's called the Swami Purana. And the Swami Purana is the story of the, the death of love. When all the gods sent love and said, hey, love, would you infect Shiva with passion? So he got real, he'll get really passionate when he sees Parvati and he'll want to marry her and bring forth the son which is going to lead the armies of the gods to victory. And love said, you're crazy. Shiva's not going to fall for a stunt like that. That's surely going to mean the death of me. And all the gods, especially Indra, said, no, there's no other way to bring forth the son of Shiva than to infect him with passion and fill him with love for Parvati so they'll get married and give us the kid that we need. And love said, no way. And Indra said, I'm the king of heaven, I order you. Go shoot your arrows at Shiva. And love said, oh. This is going to be the death of me. Well, 
in adherence to the orders of Indra, the god of love went to where Shiva was sitting in meditation and he waited till Parvati was somewhere in the vicinity and he drew his bow and he let that arrow fly and suddenly Shiva was decorated with flowers and there became spring and the birds and the bees and everyone's chirping and the scents and fragrances were in the air and Shiva saw Parvati and then he saw the garland of flowers around his neck and he saw all that had become spring and a conducive to love and he said, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. <laughs> and then he saw love standing there with a bow in his hand, that culprit, and he got mad. And he just let that fire flow from his third eye. And love was burned to ashes. Immediately on the spot, Rati, love's wife, whose name is Spring, she came and started crying, Shiva, you just burned my husband to ashes. How will I ever be with him? She was like, what was he doing shooting arrows at me? And, and Rati said it was, the, it was Indra. Indra commanded him. It was the order of the gods in order to protect the worlds. He, he was commanded. He didn't want to do it of his own accord. Uh, Shiva said, why would anyone give love a command like that? If they want me to marry for the benefit of the worlds, if they want me to bring forth a son in order to lead the armies of the gods to victory, certainly I will help creation. But to think that I'm going to get married because of lust? Because of the arrows of love, without a plan, without a, a sankopa, without an objective, without a partnership, without, a, without an understanding of what we're going to do together? Forget it, man! He deserves to be ashes! <laughs> Rati said, oh, Shiva, I want to be with my husband again. He said, okay, you wait until the end of Dwapar Yuga and your husband's going to take birth again. I'm going to make love the strongest of all the gods, but he'll be invisible. Rati said, that's not enough. I want a, I want a husband I can hug and hold and, and grab onto. And Shiva said, at the end of Dwapar Yuga, Avimanyu will become the son of Arjun and Subhadra, and that will be your husband, and you will take birth as Uttara. And you, Uttara, will marry Avimanyu, and you'll once again enjoy your cohabitation with your husband. Now that's the story of the Swami Purana. Everything that happened in between, from the birth of love, from the death of love to the birth of Avimanyu, and the marriage between love and his wife, Rathi, uh, that, that's all included in that book. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's a fun book. I suggest that you spend a little time reading it. We have a question from Moshimi in Boulder. Namaste, Moshimi Ma! Pranam, is the Shiva hum state of mind the highest state of realization in Samadhi? Can it be realized through Bhakti Bhava? Absolutely everything. You cannot go into Samadhi without Bhakti. Right. Bhava Bhakti Utle Utle Aha Morimon. 
That is the bhavana of pure devotion. And that's why you, you can't achieve wisdom without devotion. The highest wisdom is devotion. The highest devotion is wisdom. They're not different. Gan and bhakti are not separate paths. It's not like, well, I'm going to be smart now and I'm going to be a devotee later. It's impossible to separate them. We talk about them as different aspects of one path because they have special characteristics. But you can't study wisdom. You, Dr. Mushomi, you know yourself how much you studied and you didn't study without devotion. You were extremely devoted and that's why you paid attention. And when you paid attention, you focused your concentration. When you focused your concentration to the exclusion of delusion, you reached to union with your subject matter and that was samadhi. And if you can do it in science, you can do it in art, you can do it in philosophy, you can do it in sadhana by reading the Chandipat. So yes, Chitamanda Rupa, Shivo Hum, Shivo Hum, that is Bhakti, that is Gyan. At the apex, there is no division, there's no separation, there's no distinction between Gyan and Bhakti. They are intimate friends. <laughs> yeah, they are intimate friends. <laughs> Please. We have a question from Nanda in San Jose. Namaste, Nanda Ma. Can you please share from your experience how to culti cultivate alertness during sadhana? Uh, yeah, how do I cultivate alertness? Yeah, you can pinch yourself. <laughs> you can hit yourself. <laughs> wake up, wake up. Mother of the universe, wake up, wake up us. <laughs> how do you cultivate alertness? You pray very sincerely and very strongly and with a lot of gusto. Don't be dry. It's not just a head trip. It's a heart trip. It's my heartfelt prayer to you, Mother of the Universe. Wake me up. I don't care what time it is, I want to give you 100% or more. 100% is the minimum requirement. I want to give you the more. The extra song at the end, like, like Pranavananda does. He does three songs extra at the end. And, and the extra mantra japa, like Adityananda does. He does an extra bala at the end. And everybody has a way of saying, your mother used to sing oh, uh, you know, all of her beautiful songs. Jayo Jayo Jagadeko. Next. We have a question from Vivekananda. Namaste, Vivek. Namaste. How to deal with the pain of not knowing that I actually know Shiva? How to find the clip of surrender in puja to jump from? 
I love him more than my mind can measure. The love feels like being flayed alive, yet I only want more. What to do to move further? When you have that kind of love, Vivek, you sing with abandon. You get into the bhavana of that bhakti. You, you get into that. Uh, you ask Shiva, what more can I do to demonstrate the sincerity of my love? Certainly, I want to do everything that I was told to do and then give more. I want to give 100% and then give dakshina. I want to sing every mantra in the book and then I'm going to do an extra mala of job. I'm going to sing an extra song. I'm going to do, I'm sing an extra song or, a, or three songs. I'm going to do something more to demonstrate how much I love you, Shiva. I'm not just going to do what was written in the book, but I'm going farther. I'm going to do, I'll, I'll, I'm going to do the extra distance, the extra discipline, the extra give you something more. And each time I'm going to increase it so that you know from my efficiency, the sincerity of my words. I'm not just mouthing off things that you'll like to hear. I'm actually doing. I'm actually doing, I'm, I'm walking the walk instead, instead of just talking the talk. I think, Vivek, those are some of the things that we will naturally do as we fall deeper and deeper in love. I want to make that love manifest. It's got to produce something. Let it be something productive that will earn me the attention of my beloved. I'm going to sing louder, I'll sing stronger, I'll say swaha. I'm going to make the yajna, I'm going to memorize the mantra, I'm going to learn the pronunciation, I'm going to learn the meaning, I'm going to make this my life's work. They do very good puja. They do very good puja. Loud. Ah, loudly and with a lot of devotion. Thank you for bringing such devotees to the daily money. We have a question from Dan. Yes, Dan, namaste. Namaste. If the goal of the Sahasranam is to see God everywhere, would it be helpful to update the Sahasranam to more current life experiences? Like, Om, I bow to He who is the car. Om, I bow to He who is the business endeavor. How far should we go, to, how far should we go with our worship of Shiva as the material world? I would start, Dan, I would start by doing what's in the book. <laughs> And then take that bhavana and, and bow to the car by your respect to your car and respect to your business endeavor and respect to your family and respect to your every interaction. I would carry that forward. But when you're doing the puja, do it in Sanskrit. It'll be more efficacious to you. It'll have greater meaning in Sanskrit. When I started learning Sanskrit, I had a very small vocabulary. I knew Om. <laughs> I had heard that once or twice, but I didn't know what it meant. But I, as I started increasing my vocabulary, my thoughts became extremely subtle because I didn't have any words to think in. So I would go to the bazaar and I'd look around and there was a blank. I couldn't describe what was in the bazaar in Sanskrit. My mind naturally gravitated towards other languages and I keep bringing it back to, okay, think in Sanskrit. And 
then things were very subtle. And it was very easy to go very deep inside because all the vocabulary I was learning was coming from scripture. And it was all about internal states of consciousness. It was all about awareness of internal cognition that I could, I could understand, I could feel. It was about my relationship to God and my relationship to Guru, and how do you do puja? And it became very, very subtle, because I didn't have a lot of words, and there wasn't a lot of chatter. And if there wasn't a lot of chatter, there wasn't all this gossip, and there wasn't a debate going on in my head saying, go this way, go that way, do this or do that. So I could tune all of that out. Wait a minute, you're from another language. You're from another planet. You're from another time. You're from another history. You're not pertinent to my present endeavor. I can tune you out. I don't have to pay attention. I'm thinking in Sanskrit now. Dan, learn the Sanskrit. To the extent of your capacity, learn the mantras in Sanskrit and recite the text in Sanskrit and you will become one with the mantras and one with the Sanskrit and one with the bhavana and one with the bhakti and the gyan. And the highest wisdom is to be fully devoted. The apex of wisdom is pure devotion. If you're really a wise person, you're, you're flipped out. You're just full of devotion. People used to come to me and say, Swami, you're full of it. And sometimes they were right. I don't know what they meant, but... There's the highest wisdom is pure devotion. And the highest devotion is the ultimate wisdom. So fill yourselves with wisdom and devotion and leave all the extraneous hanging about of the car and hanging about of the business and hanging about of the... I bow with my every action. And I do puja in Sanskrit. We have another question from Sadatmananda. Yes, Sadatmananda. Namaste. Why does it say that the lingam is the vanisher of Ravana's pride? Because Ravana Dharpana, uh, he took uh, uh, Shiva, uh, supported Ram in the, in the war. And uh, even though Ravana was his great devotee, Ram had purity and dharma on his side. And Shiva sided with Ram uh, in destroying Ravana. So, uh, 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 Ram is said to have won the battle with Ravan because Shiva su supported him. And that's why the lingam is the subtle symbol of the infinite consciousness which destroyed the pride of Ravan by supporting Ram. Yes, please. We have a question from Julia. Namaste, Julia Ma. Namaste. You've said that the goddess brings us to Shiva, and you've also said that Shiva brings us to the goddess. So are we devoted to both Shiva and the goddess as the one consciousness of infinite goodness? Yes. <laughs> you got the highest wisdom. An A for Julia. The highest wisdom is devotion. It's the Shiva Shakti, Ardhanar Ishwar. You can take it as Ardhanar Ishwar. That means half male. Or Ardhanari. Ishwar, half female. 
Which do you think it is, Julia? Is Ardhanarishwara half male or half female? Or is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Divide it. It's indivisible. You can't separate them. They are indivisible. They're inseparable. They are Siva and they are Shakti. And they are mutual. And they are reciprocal. And they revolve around each other and that creates the center of energy. As long as it's mutual, as long as it's reciprocal, it, you can't tell where does Shiva leave off and Shakti begin. Is that true? Thank you. Uh, I had one question from Janardhan about the Upanayan or the Poitha Diksha. Uh, and uh, the, the investiture with the sacred thread. Uh, there's a whole chapter in the book called from, what was it called? Uh, from birth to death. death. Birth to death. From birth to death, there's a whole chapter about the ceremony and the meaning of the ceremony and the meaning of the investiture with the sacred thread. We offer the sacred thread every day in the puja. We offer it to the gods, we offer it to the goddess, we offer it to the Brahman who preserves the knowledge. And what it essentially says is, Shama Dhamma Tapaso Chang. Shama means peacefulness and contentment. Dhamma means generosity and giving. Tapas means the purifying austerities. Soch means inner and outer purity. Taking a cleanliness of your mind and your body and your presentation, even your clothes. Kshantir, Arjavam Evacha. Kshanti means patience and forgiveness. Arjavam is the relentless pursuit of knowledge. Gyanam, Vigyanam, Astikyam. Gyan means wisdom. Began means knowledge. I want to constantly cultivate that highest wisdom so I'm purely and sincerely and completely devoted. And I need knowledge to know which facts do I apply to which circumstances in order to exemplify wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge to circumstance. So I exemplify wisdom in my life. Knowledge is the memorization of the truth, a correct fact. Astikyam is the relentless pursuit of self-realization. These nine, Brahma, Karma, Svabhavajam, these nine attributes are the intrinsic nature of a knower of divinity, one who seeks to walk with God, a brahmachari, one who walks with God, who moves with Brahma. And so the, the investiture with the sacred thread says, I am pursuing these nine qualities in my life, I want, this is my highest dharma, this is my goal, these are my, the attitudes that I want to express in my every interaction, this is where I'm going, this is what I respect most highly, and this is how I propose to become a 
person I can respect myself. Now, in order to complete the ceremonies, uh, there are a number of things we do. We only we stay inside for three days and don't look at the light of the sun. We only see the inner light. We spend much time in meditation. We meditate on Gayatri Mantra, the wisdom, the harmony, the song of wisdom, of harmony of the three. Gayatri, the three girls, Ma Kali, Ma Lakshmi, Ma Saraswati, remember Vishwamitra was meditating, come to me, Divine Mother, and Kali said, I'm not going there. And Lakshmi said, I'm not going there. That Rishi is so vibrant and so tajus. He's got so much light and illumination. He'll burn us just to come in and into his presence. Saraswati, you go. Saraswati said, I'm not going alone. They said, we'll each put forth one part. And the three goddesses put forth one part each and she became the song of wisdom of the three, Gayatri. And she gave Vishwamitra, he was Vishwarat, he was the, he was the conveyance of the universe. He was the car, Dan. <laughs> and he became the friend, man. He became the friend of the universe because he did such tapasya. He brought the song of wisdom of the three, the mool mantra of the Sanatan Dharma. That's the primary mantra, the root of what is the eternal ideal of perfection. Tut means that. Sabitur is the sun, the light of wisdom, Varanyam, the highest, Bargo, wealth, Devasya of the gods, Dimahi, we contemplate, we meditate, we put in our minds, we fill our minds full of, we meditate upon that light of wisdom which is the highest wealth of the gods, Dio Yomha, give to us, Pracho Udoya, Pracho Udoya, continuous increase. Make it rise. Make it get grow. grow. This little might, a light of mine, I'm going to make it shine. Make it grow. Make it bigger. Make it brighter. Make it stronger like a thousand suns. And that's why he became Vishwamitra the friend of the universe, because he gave us the ideal of perfection in every circumstance. Hey, is there any time you don't need more wisdom? What is this, Stump the Swami night? <laughs> I can't think of a time when I don't need more wisdom. In fact, that's the one thing I need in every circumstance of my life. It's the Mool Mantra of the eternal ideal of perfection. Tatsavitur Varenyam, I meditate upon that highest light of wisdom which is the highest wealth of the gods, please don't let me goof. Don't let me mess it up again. Make me do it right this time. Whatever it is I got to do, if I'm washing a dish, if I'm chopping wood, if I'm carrying water, let me have wisdom, please. So that's the Mool Mantra, and investiture with the sacred thread means that you are a dvija. You were born twice. You were born once from your mommy and once from the womb of wisdom. 
And now you are empowered to pray for increase in wisdom in everything you do. I suggest you read at least that one chapter from the book. It's called From Birth to Death. To Death. Om Sam Sarasvati Namaha. Namaste.